I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in John's Gospel, John chapter 19. Just a couple of verses to start us off this morning, and then we're going to do a little whirlwind through the Scriptures together. As we continue on in our series, we've been looking at the last words of Jesus on the cross. We've been walking through his final statements there as he is offering his life as a sacrifice for us to forgive us of our sins, to save us, to make it possible for us to have a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And as we come to John chapter 19, we're going to encounter a statement that Jesus makes that on the surface seems just basic. As we look at it, it would be one of those statements that we would say, okay, what next? Like what more could there be said than what Jesus says? But men, if you've ever been in the situation that I found myself in when I was getting ready to propose to my wife, going shopping for diamonds to put in a ring, you realize very quickly you don't know what's going on. So as you go looking, you begin a conversation and you say, I'm looking for an engagement ring. And typically the person says, oh. They're reeling you in in that moment, right? They know you're coming. They say, well, there's some things that you need to know about diamonds, you're like, it's a diamond. I just need one. I said, no, 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 no. There are very specific things about diamonds that you need to know as you are preparing to make the, probably at that point in life, the largest purchase you've ever made. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are four C's about diamonds. I learned that. The first is the carat weight. How big of a diamond do you want? How large of a diamond? Why have some of you are like, he didn't pick big enough, right? <laughs> However, statistically, the truth is that regardless of what size diamond, it has no impact on your marriage or not. Husbands, I'm helping you out there. So you've got the carat weight, and then you have the cut. Did you know that there are numerous ways that you can cut a diamond? It can be a princess cut. That's the only one I remember, right? It's the one she got, right? So you've got the cut, then you have the clarity. Now that's one that seemingly we would go, okay, that makes sense. Did you go cheap? You can't see through it. Or did you get the real deal that you can actually see through it? That's the question. And then the color, is it really the right color? And you're like, well, hang on, I thought it was clarity. No, there's cut and clarity. There's color. You have to make sure you get the right thing. So you get educated, you realize that there's a whole lot more to buying a diamond than just going and picking one out. And the same thing holds true for Jesus' statement that we're going to look at this morning. There's a whole lot more there than meets the surface. I want to read the text for us, and then I want us to walk back through it together and to look through the scriptures as we unpack what is going on here. When Jesus makes this statement, 
what all is happening. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. This is what John records. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Father, we ask this morning you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I thirst. It's the statement that Jesus made on the cross. I thirst. Parents, we've heard that before from our kids, right? I'm thirsty. We've heard that statement before. And when Jesus utters that statement on the cross, what's going on? We saw last week that Jesus made the statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we realized very quickly that there was more to that statement than what we just read there, that Jesus was actually looking back at Psalm 22 and he was recognizing that this moment, though it may have seemed bleak, though it may have seemed dark, that God was still at work even in the dark moment that Jesus was walking through. And here Jesus says, I thirst. When Jesus says this, it's more about simply the physical act of being thirsty. Jesus was thirsty as he was there on the cross. He had endured torture. He was physically dehydrated. His body did need something. But there's more than meets the eye in that statement. And I want us to look and to unpack that together this morning. I want you to notice first that Jesus said, I thirst to remind us of his identity to remind us of his identity. It hinted at it there. It says, to fulfill the scriptures. That Jesus on the cross makes this statement, I thirst, to bring to remembrance for those who would have been there, who would have known the Old Testament scriptures, that Jesus making this statement is highlighting the reality, the truth that he is the long-awaited Savior. He is the Messiah that we have been longing for and looking for. We see this play out even in Psalm 22 that we looked at last week, and we're going to do just a little bit of digging through the text this morning, so I want you, maybe as you are taking notes this morning, to write these passages of scriptures, the references here, because it'll give you an opportunity long after we are finished this morning to be able to go back and to be able to understand exactly what is going on. 
I want you to notice in Psalm 22, beginning in verse 14, that this is what the psalmist David writes, this same psalm that Jesus had previously quoted. Listen to these words. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Thousands of years before Jesus would die on the cross, we see David in the Psalms looking forward to the Messiah who was to come. Isn't it interesting that as Jesus makes this statement, I thirst, he is referencing the reality of his identity. He is the very Son of God. Long promise to come to this earth, to die on the cross for our sins, to make it possible for us to be forgiven, to be saved. Not only that, we look at Psalm 69 as well, and as we think of Jesus making the statement that I thirst there on the cross, listen to Psalm 69, beginning in verse 19. You know my reproach. And my shame and my dishonor, my foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. I want you to notice, church, that Jesus Christ on the cross makes this statement, I thirst, to remind us of the truth of who He is. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the promises of God to send one who would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus here makes this statement to remind us of His identity. Not only that, I want you to notice that Jesus said, I thirst to remind us of his teaching. I want you to look with me in John chapter 4. The text will be up on the screen. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's one of the moments that you realize very, very quickly Jesus' heart for sinners. Jesus' desire to save people from their sin. I want you to notice in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman. She's on the way at this point in time to draw water. This is what the text says. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
So think about this, in this moment as Jesus is on the cross, as Jesus is crying out, I thirst, look back and remember this encounter with the Samaritan woman. Where Jesus interacting with her at a well as she's coming to draw water, says to her, hey, would you fix me something? And she says, I can't even believe you're talking to me. And Jesus says, no, I can't believe you're not asking me for living water. Notice that he continues on here and the woman says to him in verse 11, sir, you've got nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She says in verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus on the cross makes the statement, I thirst, and in our minds we are recognizing that he is making that statement not only because physically he's thirsty in this moment, but he wants those who are watching this play out. He wants us thousands of years down the road who are reading this to recognize who he is and to listen to his teaching. The one who says, I thirst, is the one who said, I have water that you don't even know about. I have water that will satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. To this Samaritan woman, he says to her, I can offer you something that will satisfy you forever. Not only that, We look at John chapter seven as we think about Jesus reminding us of his teaching by making this statement. John chapter seven, verse 37. It's a fascinating situation that plays out on the last day of the feast, the great day. Jesus stood up and cried out, listen to this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now think about this, in this moment as Jesus is on the cross, as he is offering his life as a sacrifice for our sins to make it possible for us to have a relationship with our heavenly father, he makes this statement, I thirst. And in this moment, our minds go back and are reminded That in this moment, as Jesus is laying his life down, he has told those who were following him that he is the source of eternal life. No one can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. It is only through him that we can be forgiven of our sins and made right with our heavenly father You may have come in this morning and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe that's the step that you need to take this morning. 
When Jesus says, I thirst, He's reminding us of what He's previously said. He's reminding us that He is the only one who can give us eternal life. Not only that, Jesus said, I thirst to remind us of His provision. To remind us of His provision. You see, in this moment, as we've said before, Jesus is bearing the weight of our sin upon Himself. Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. It is in this moment with Jesus on the cross that He has taken your sin and my sin upon Himself and He is bearing the weight of that sin. God's judgment against sin is being poured out in this moment against Him. But I want you to notice that Jesus' statement, I thirst, reminds us that He is the only sufficient sacrifice who could do that. As we look at the text, Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. Listen to this story that plays out in Jesus' life and in His ministry. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Him with her sons and kneeling before Him, she asked Him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Take note of this next phrase. Are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink? What cup is that? As Jesus takes this sip here on the cross, as he cries out, I thirst, in this moment, Jesus is drinking the cup of the wrath of God poured out against sin. Jesus to his disciples earlier when they were vying for position and for authority and for prominence, As the mom of these two disciples came along and said, hey, you remember my boys, right? Mamas, you've done that. I want them to sit on your right hand and your left. Jesus asked the question, are they able to drink of the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able, and he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
in this moment as Jesus makes the statement, I thirst. He is looking and saying there on the cross, our minds should go to this passage and be reminded that this cup that he is drinking to the full is the wrath of God poured out against sin. Jesus in our place. As we continue on, we look at John chapter 18 as we think about this reminder of his provision. Notice John chapter 18 beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Judas who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I've lost not one. Then Simon Peter Simon, one of my favorite guys, having a sword, drew it, said, if I'm going down, we're all going down. He drew his sword and he struck the high priest's servant and he cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. But verse 11, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus on the cross said, I thirst to remind us of his identity, to remind us of his teaching, to remind us that he was the provision that we needed to save us from our sin. I want you to notice lastly, Jesus said, I thirst to remind us of his humanity. I want you to notice in Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, we find what I think is one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture that we could see. As we think about Jesus on the cross, as we think about Him paying the debt that we owed for sin, I want you to notice Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
Church family, I want us, as we think about Jesus' words, I thirst, to be reminded that yes, He is fully the Son of God, but He is also fully man. That Jesus on the cross says I'm thirsty not to simply point us back to look at the Old Testament scriptures and not simply to put us back to look at his teaching and to remind us that he's the provision that we needed, but to remind us that he too has experienced everything that we have experienced yet without sin. Every single one of us have experienced thirst. Every single one of us knows what it means to be thirsty. We know physically what it means. Jesus in this moment physically knows what it means to be in thirst. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us of this great truth. That we have a high priest. We have a savior who can identify with us in our weakness. Every single one of us is weak. Some of us have come to that realization a little more quickly than the others. But for every single one of us, we are weak and in need and we have a Savior who has walked through that as well. Jesus saying in this moment, I thirst, is pointing to the reality that He knows what we are walking through. That he knows the difficult seasons that we endure. That he has walked that road before us. And we can come boldly to him as we walk through those seasons. So this statement that Jesus makes, like a diamond, there's so much more there than what meets the eye. As we think about the truth of God's word this morning, there's a simple question that lies before us. As we think about Jesus' identity, the Savior, that God had promised to sin, as we think about His teaching, That every single one of us is thirsty, longing for something that will satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. As we think about his provision that he drank to the full the wrath of God against sin. As we think about him as a savior who can identify with us in our weakness, the question, have we trusted in him for salvation. I have no doubt this morning that there are some who have come in today that have never taken that step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. You came in this morning and you weren't really sure maybe what to expect, but I hope you leave with a clear picture of who Jesus Christ is today. I hope that in this moment you recognize that you can be forgiven of your sins, you can be brought in right relationship with a heavenly Father who loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for you, to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you're here this morning and you have taken that step. And as we've walked through the text this morning, 
As we've looked at all of these things that are true about Jesus as he makes this statement, maybe the very last one is the one that you needed to hear today. Maybe you felt alone. Maybe you felt discouraged. Maybe you are walking through a difficult season right now wondering, does anyone know what it's like? You have a Savior who does. You have a Savior who knows what it's like to walk through pain, that knows what it's like to walk through accusations against Him that are untrue, that knows what it's like to experience temptation even though He never sinned, to know what it's like to walk through a broken world. Maybe this morning you need that encouragement. Maybe this morning you need those arms of mercy wrapped around you. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me and to close your eyes. As we transition to this time of invitation and then as we celebrate communion together this morning. I want to give you an opportunity today. Maybe you came in and You've never taken that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And as we get ready to celebrate communion this morning, what we're celebrating is what Jesus Christ did. The bread represents His body that was broken for us. The cup represents His blood that was shed for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And maybe this morning you need to take the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, of receiving that free gift of salvation. And if you know that that is a step that you need to take right here, right now, I'd simply invite you to utter a prayer to God that goes something like this. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth lived a sinless life, took my sin upon himself on the cross, paid the debt that I owe. And I believe he was raised from the dead on the third day. And I trust him as my savior today. That's a prayer that you prayed with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning still. I want to encourage you in just a few moments as we open up this altar down front for people to come and to pray. I want to encourage you to walk down to grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand and just share with us that you prayed that prayer to trust in Jesus as your Savior. There's nothing magical about the words of the prayer to save you. But if it reflects the true intention of your heart, 
then this morning you've been saved from your sin. Maybe you're a believer here this morning and as you think about Jesus Christ there on the cross suffering, as you think about in His humanity experiencing every sorrow, pain that we've experienced. Maybe you're walking through that season right now. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're wondering if there's hope. Maybe you wonder if there's anyone who identifies with you or who can help you. And I want to encourage you this morning to look up. Look to Jesus. He's not only your Savior, He's one who can identify with where you are right now. just a few moments we have an opportunity to respond this invitation maybe you need to step out and come down spend some time in prayer before the Lord this morning come and grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand and share with us how we can pray for you what you're walking through right now Heavenly Father we thank you for your word And as we've walked through it this morning, we recognize once again how great a Savior we have. We recognize once again that we are lost without Him. But with Him, we have eternal life. Encourage us this morning. Challenge us. Help us to respond as you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you, if you would, to stand. And as we prepare in just a few moments to take communion together, I want to ask you to use this opportunity to prepare your hearts. Maybe you need to come down forward. You trusted Jesus as your Savior, and you want to celebrate that and share that with us this morning. Maybe you need prayer. And as we sing, I want to encourage you to come down and right now spend some time in prayer before the Lord. You respond as the Lord leads you. And after that, we'll pass out the elements together.